Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Caroline. Hey, Caroline. Welcome Hi. back to season three of Everyday Superhumans. I know. We're it's so old right now. <laughs> so old. In our, well, in our, we're a seasoned podcast yeah, now. Well seasoned now. Three seasons. That's a good enough seasoning to make a good dish. And we were in an article in Austin Monthly. Yeah, Austin Monthly discovered us. Quick shout out to Austin Monthly. You guys rock. You gave us a shout out in the ultimate podcast list. Of, yes. Or the ultimate Austin, Texas podcast list. Not just the, the list, but the ultimate <laughs> yeah. list. Uh, we'll actually include the link to that list on uh, this episode description. And speaking about this episode, mm-hmm. yeah, this is one of my favorite ones ever. Like, so earlier last season, we spoke to Girl Develop It, which is our first national charity to talk to. Mm-hmm. This season, we're kicking off with Well Aware, our first international charity to talk to. Yeah. Like, talking about moving up. Like, we're this is going a, places. <laughs> this is, we're physically not going anywhere, <laughs> but we're reaching out to people who have been there. Yeah, we did not fly internationally to Africa to record them because our offices are right here in Austin. And since we are the podcast about Austin nonprofits, they are... By definition, a nonprofit in Austin that does international work. And who is this podcast? Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> not this podcast, this person. Uh, Sarah Evans. She is the director and co-founder of WellAware. She is a former attorney who dedicated her entire life uh, to providing clean, sustainable wells to villages in Africa that need it the most. And it's crazy. Yeah, like a lot of these places and communities don't have clean water for well and think of their kids and well not just the kids but families mm-hmm. and uh, we explore different things like how how their uh, wells are doing more than just providing clean healthy water they're also boosting the economies of these places they are uh, the clean healthy water is allowing people to go to school more often and it's even uh, allowing women to work more and uh, villages that otherwise would discourage it Mm-hmm. Even I think had a, a commission that actually tries to encourage more women, women to work in these wells. They're saving hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. They're one of the top-rated charities on uh, on various sites, and I just love talking to them. Without getting too wordy, here is Sarah Evans of Well Aware and our amazing conversation with her to kick off season three. Well Aware was a bit of an accident. Really? (laughs) Well, in in the beginning, I was recruited to help with a project in Kenya. One of my friends asked me if I would help uh, set up some legal uh, structure because I was in my previous life, I was an attorney, and I I, (laughs) securities law, (laughs) which I don't use anymore. But I really she 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 wanted to raise some money to replace some of the uh, livestock that was dying in her father's village in Kenya. She was born in Austin, but her father was from Kenya. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she had recently gone back to Kenya to visit her family or meet her family for the first time. And uh, she was devastated to see how the community was suffering. And the the Maasai's main source of livelihood is their livestock, their cattle mm. and goats. And they were all dying. And I I really wanted to help her. And I I got a little bit obsessed with the, the cause and the work and what mm-hmm. we were going to do, because that's just what I do. And I realized that it would be ideal if we could provide a source of clean water for this community, because I learned that that was the reason that the livestock were dying and all kinds of other suffering that was happening in the community. And I was humbled, too, through this learning process because I was young and cocky and thought I knew everything and (laughs) (laughs) realized that the world had so much more to know. So I proposed 
uh, to this, uh, to my friend and our group of friends who are involved in this project, why do, why don't we just figure out how to drill a water well on the huh. other side of the world? Which is nuts. And you had no experience with what engineering? Would that be engineering? Would that be engineering? Okay. And hydrogeology. Yeah, that's yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. I don't think, I'm, I mean, I'm from East Texas, so I'd seen plenty of oil rigs, but I don't think I'd ever seen a drilling rig for water before in my life. Mm-hmm. But I was convinced I could do it. And But that was, it was an idea that didn't come to fruition for another year and a half or two years, because uh, we all had other jobs that they mm-hmm. jobs. And I just continued to try to meet people and um, finally put some partners together. And we had our very first fundraiser in 2009, the summer of 2009. We decided to have a shower strike. Shower strike. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that on your website where you go yeah. for a week it, without a shower. Huh. It is what before. it sounds like. Yeah, it was weird. And I mean, the whole thing was nuts. So we were tr- we were sitting on my floor at my house, probably drinking red wine. And we were trying yeah. to figure out how how we're going to raise money for this project that we were really wanting to do. And I worked from home at the time. And so one of my friends said, hey, you know what we should do? We should all go and shower strike because Sarah doesn't shower anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We all had a good giggle. But then we thought, let's do that. Let's get our friends to just say that we're not going to shower until we raise a certain amount of money and ask our families and our coworkers and our partners to donate to our cause. And then back then I was just coding buttons in PayPal to make this fundraiser work. But lo and behold, you know, a week, Later, after we launched it, we had raised $25,000. Whoa. Yeah. So That's... I quickly trademarked the event. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And uh, we had the money to go and do that first uh, water well, and that was January 2010. We flew to Kenya, and we put that money in the ground. Where do you wow. learn to dig the water well from? Did you have any engineers on your team? or? We do now. We didn't then. Oh, and oh really? I'm re- I readily admit now that we got really lucky. Even just in that area, I learned later that only one in seven of the wells that are drilled yield any water at all. Wow. It was luck. It really was. We did, uh, we did identify a driller who gave us some advice, but on that first trip, before I realized it was something that I was going to do with my life, mm-hmm. I, the, see, being on the ground and seeing the the, the way that people were trying to live, and especially the moms and the women and the children and what an incredible burden it was on them. From that and then going almost immediately after they had access to water, when there was water coming out of the ground before it was even tapped, the relief and the incredible transformation it was going to have on the community just changed what I wanted to do with myself as a person in the world. But I also realized quickly on that same trip that we had gotten lucky and that mm-hmm. most of the, the work that's done in these places doesn't actually work. Hmm. So it was it was in the the months after that that I uh, found my engineers <laughs> and you my Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to volunteer. Well, when you mentioned engineer, I I made a mental note. <laughs> I am definitely going to bug you about that. And I uh, started studying then why most of these water wells weren't working and how we could make them so they work. And I was seeing too. In some of the communities, they have like they had to go to an open well water source and climb down yeah. to try Ooh. and get to it, and yeah. people had died yeah. from that, like children and uh-huh. moms. And that's, that's not uncommon. We we address water situations in in those communities quite often, and that's these hand dug wells are pro- are a problem in many ways. I'll try not to get too soapboxy. <laughs> um, it's your time, though. Yeah, okay, the here we go. Plus, we got post-production. We can all right. just get things out. 
That's true. So some many of the hand dug water wells are open. And they're extremely dangerous. And besides the fact that they get really contaminated, um, they're very, very dangerous for, for children. And the, because the children, they're small, they're the ones that are um, tasked to climb down into the well mm. and get get buckets full of water. I have a video, I don't know if you got to see that online, of they're sort of, they, they create the big open hand dug wells and it's sort of tiered going into it so that there's a child on each level and the, the child at the bottom fills up the bucket, oh, passes it up to the next, who passes mm-hmm. it up to the next, who passes it up to the next. And they sing a song while they're doing it, so they have a rhythm, so it goes faster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's terrifying yeah. to watch, and it's like Especially it's just young children being sent in there, yeah. too. I mean, they might be the right size for the job, but yeah. not like the right age. Yeah, That's so, a lot of responsibility. Well, where okay. I take it helps prevent that from happening, then. Mm-hmm. We do, as much as we can. Yeah, and we, we want to be able to do do this work in, in those communities you know, as much as we can. We're, we're, we're ready to scale and do so much more work. We're just, we're limited by what kind of, what we get to raise. Um, How big is your team right now? We're pretty lean. We have four employees in the Austin office, but only two full-time, two part-time. Okay. And then we have two full-time Kenyan staff in Kenya. Hmm. So just six, four and a half, four, what, five total yeah yeah but you don't need an army (laughs) well we do and we have a large group of volunteer engineers and hydrogeologists yeah i'd assume so without whom we would not be able to do this work so at least we wouldn't be able to implement because we we insist on implementing responsibly and realistically and we have the best meetings with this (laughs) team a lot of them most of them are in austin but we have several who are outside of austin Mm -hmm. so we set everybody up on a on a web call Mm -hmm. And we troubleshoot things like, you know, where the float switch should be and, you know, like what, what's going on with the lightning arrestor. And it's, it's fascinating. Lightning there are arguments. I work in the, whoa. I work in the, the, I work for Austin Energy. So like we deal with those a lot. You use yes. lightning arresters on wells? Well, are now they? we are, but it's, it's been the biggest mystery. There is a place in Kenya that we work, the county of Lakipia, which is sort of north central Kenya, and it's very flat. And uh, we have just now started seeing incidents where the control box blows. And by putting all the different pieces of the puzzle together, and that's part of our process, which is really kind of exciting and different too. I can talk about that, but we're, we're pretty sure that, that it's a lightning problem. Huh. But Like a lightning? Like Sure, of lightning strikes. Like lightning, like literally lightning, 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 lightning. <laughs> okay. lightning. Wow. Yeah, like everything else isn't a big enough challenge. You know, the elephants and the <laughs> yeah, yeah. like Mother Nature has to come down and <laughs> yeah, ruin like, everything. Really? <laughs> but the meetings are, are fascinating. These people are just brilliant, and uh, while they are volunteers, Wellaware does completely cover their costs of, of travel and anything else oh, they incur working that's nice. with us. So that's where I guess. Good amount of funding is getting the people that know what to do and to the right location then. Yes. And now, so our, our U.S. team only goes over <clears throat> about twice a year because uh, we have such strong partners, partners meaning contract mm-hmm. contractors and vendors in East Africa, and then we, our project manager is there. A lot of our implementation and follow-up can be done without us being there, and that's more cost-effective too for us. But there are certain things that we really do need the expertise that is here that doesn't exist there over in Kenya conducting that oversight and troubleshooting problems. So since uh, you said that you have control boxes and, and lightning arresters on your wells, how do these wells work exactly? What's the engineering behind them? That is a really good question. When we're doing groundwater, because we also work with pipelines from natural springs and some rainwater harvesting, when working with groundwater, we 
uh, drill boreholes that are pretty deep. So we're going deep enough below the water table so that there's it's much less likely that the water will become contaminated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because if there are latrines or livestock yeah. or anything around mm-hmm. the water, that's one of the other issues with the hand dug systems. They're shallow. Even when they have a hand pump attached and it's sealed, they're so going like, to probably get contaminated. So like how many feet under is it safe? Our our systems range between 80 meters and almost 300 meters. This is as deep oh, as we've gone. That's deep. It's very deep. And yeah, it's, they're it's like, steel cased and they're solar powered. So we have submersible uh, pumps that go into the ground huh. and they're solar powered, which is a lot more sustainable for the community. Solar power is even cheaper to install. And then we have, because of our relationship with our partners there, they have 20 year warranties. Wow. Um, and then the community has no power bill and they don't have to pay for yeah. petrol oh, to yeah. power the generator and it makes so much more sense for everybody. It's crazy that schools don't have water too, that a lot of the schools don't have water. So many of the schools don't have water and that means many of the kids don't get to go and a lot of the kids are sick. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these children that have been chronically ill when they're young, then they're just at a disadvantage Mm-hmm. throughout the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. but especially when they're getting an education because they're just not as alert, they're not well-fed, mm-hmm. yeah. um, they just don't have the chance that they could have had they been healthy when they're younger years. Yeah. Have you read the book Doing Good Better by William McCaskill? I don't think, no, I haven't I, read that one. It's my most recommended book. It's about basically, that's the thing that got me into effective altruism. He's a guy that okay. basically founded the movement. And the book, he talks about how there was this nonprofit in uh, in African countries, we'll say Kenya, I can't remember exactly, and Kenya, that was trying to give like school books to kids to like, get them more educated, like give them better, a better opportunity. But then another nonprofit, I've read in, this. Rowing the World moved in. Yes. And Dewaring the World was actually more effective at getting children's attendance yes. and education levels because health was their main priority why they were not going mm-hmm. to school. Yeah. Yep. So focusing on the health first is yeah. what you yeah. should be doing. And like yeah. this is. Yeah. Getting rid of like, any infected water, mm-hmm. deworming the world, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. This is fantastic for you. I haven't read the book, but I've read that in an article. But I've yeah, read about that study. About a lot. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, when I yeah. read that, I was like, I never thought yeah. of it that way. It's like yeah. Yeah. the obvious solution isn't the answer. Yeah. Or, yeah, the answer is not an obvious solution. Right. Well, and not you just, the, the way we think, you know, in, in the Western world about things and the, the way we think about solutions just sometimes, often, doesn't apply in, in yeah. places that um, are just facing very, very different challenges. Yeah. But that's true, too, for some places in the U.S. I mean, some places that are having problems with very poor communities with mm-hmm. school attendance um, and violence, they've done similar studies where they've addressed nutrition and providing breakfast as opposed to other kinds of academic mm-hmm. programs. And it always goes back to nutrition and being mm-hmm. healthy. And like a lot of the health services, too, don't have water or clean water. So yeah. then... That's I've, another problem, too. I've, I've seen so many clinics in Kenya that were built and funded by some nonprofit that don't, that don't, they're not operating. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing there because they don't have water to sanitize. Yeah. Um, and the, so you just can't run a clinic yeah. without water. So yes, so it's, it's so important to have water at schools so that the kids can be healthy, so they can be at school, so they're not kept at home mm-hmm. retrieving water all day. And then after, girls hit puberty, you don't see them in school at all anymore if there's no Mm -hmm. water there because they require sanitation and hygiene Mm -hmm. access at the school. What happens is they just don't, they're not able to show up at school for a week or so, Mm. and then they miss so much school, then they they kind of just can't go back. But if Mm -hmm. there's water at the school and proper sanitation and hygiene, then they get to keep going. So we've seen in lots of our communities where those older girls, eighth grade and, or so and beyond, the population of the female attendance is just going up 
Oh, that's, that's great. So how many villages have you erected at Wells in? Or Doug Wells in? 36. 36. How many wells per village? We only had one well per village now. Oh, These really? are really high yielding. Some of them are almost municipal style systems. Wow. So it's not your typical little hand, hand pump well that serves about 500 to 1,000 mm-hmm. people. On average, our systems serve 5,000 people, but we have served up to 20,000 with one water well. Dang. Wow. That's, yes. And yeah. we have yeah, distribution so, points. Yeah. And so we have, there's a, a pipeline system. And so, we will always make sure there's a direct line to the school and medical clinic and whatever else is there that's really serving the community. And then there's a water kiosk where the community arranges for a nominal fee for a jerry can of water. A jerry can is 20 liters. Mm-hmm. And those big uh, cans you see, which weigh 40 pounds, by the way. Oh. And they then, they're trained to in accounting and they have a, a bank account and a water committee, the majority of whom have to be women, and they use the the fees they take from the water to put into the account, from which they fund maintenance and upgrades. Wow! And sometimes so, the so that's cool too because they're learning more skills too. Yes, and a lot more ownership, mm-hmm. which really plays a big part in the sustainability. And you do more than just digging the well; so you build an entire infrastructure system for them. Oh yeah, which yeah. is like you go above and beyond, like what it has to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I because. I think we, we've really done the donor base and the public here a disservice by sending the message that the beautiful key peak moment is when the water comes out of the ground and the kid with the shiny happy face yeah. takes a big sip and then it's done. Mm-hmm. Like that's really just the first step. And then you have to figure out from there, like, where does the community need training? Not just dumping a manual off on them. What mm-hmm. if they already know all of this stuff? It's patronizing. It's rude. Yeah. It's horrible yeah. for your partnership. And then plugging in what they don't know and helping them support the way that they want to develop, mm-hmm. right? And then making tweaks as you as you go. Mm-hmm. So 100% of our water systems work and are having impact. So the industry average is only about 40%. So we're really proud oh. of that. But it's also because we pay attention to... And as we go to, we just kind of are getting better and better and we know how to set people up so that uh, less intervention is required but we can see, oh, okay, in this part of East Africa, we understand that the dynamic between the men and the women means that we have to have a distribution point to both the gardens and the animal troughs, as opposed to one or the other. So these are just things we learn along the way because each subculture is different and each terrain, all the terrains are different. And so we just want to make sure that it's just fully appropriate for the community for technically speaking, geologically speaking, but also... Culturally speaking. I wouldn't even think about that, about the different, like how their society is compared to our society and yeah. what would be the difference. And and we, we continue to learn, but I think that's the key, just knowing that we're there to learn, knowing that we're there to uh, ask and inquire and then deliver only what they lack. Mm-hmm. And but, then you're a part of their community too. Absolutely. So you're not uh, looked as an outsider. Yeah. It what was the what was the influence for doing sustainability model versus just like oh we're just gonna go in there dig a well for a year then we're gonna fly out? What triggered that thought? It seems like that the easier way that most people might think is just build the well and go out. What was the inspiration to keep yeah. it sustainable like that? Because it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I <clears throat> I'm very passionate about this work, and especially after I became a mother, I became incredibly passionate about this work. But I'm also very logical and I'm realistic. And I wanted to truly make a difference. And I, I can see, too, 
how hurtful and painful it is when people come into these communities and provide something that then breaks mm-hmm. or make promises mm-hmm. that they never deliver on <laughs> or go and they dump information or something on a community and they've never even asked if the community even wants or needs it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's heartbreaking. I don't want to be a part of that. So I made a decision early on that if I was going to play a role in this work, I wanted to do it the right way. And I don't, I don't want to feel good about hitting water yesterday. Mm-hmm. We did, by the way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to feel good 30 years from now yeah. when I can see all the transformation that took place because of what I recruited people to help me do. Yeah, it's uh, getting you, like what you said about the whole, like saying that they don't necessarily need or want. Some people like, go in and do that. There was actually also in doing good better. The first chapter is about this this project that sounds great on paper. It's going to be a merry-go-round oh. that's also a pump. You know what I'm talking about? I know all about yeah. all these things. Yeah. So it's going to be a merry-go-round that's also a pump. Yeah. And the idea is that the kids could play on it, have a lot of fun, and then as they're having I fun... I like they would waste water. No, way. it's actually different. Oh. But So they're, like, the idea is that they'll have a lot of fun, they'll play on this thing, like the Clintons support it, I think like a bunch of celebrities support it too. Millions of dollars yeah. were dumped into that project. And oh, what no. they found out on implementation is when they installed this pump merry-go-round, it actually took a lot of energy to push because you're trying to push water out of the ground. And the thing is like a spinning pump, like you need to be in constant motion all the time if you want to pump, which is just like, like a uh, grasshopper yeah. style pump for like oil. And it ended up just being like this really bad project that caused more pain than gain. Usually, typically, mothers of the villages would go out there and just like push it for hours on end. Oh. And they lost funding like immediately. They're still around, though. Where was it? I think so. I, I don't know. I don't know which villages they installed well, it in. A few. It was all over. It was a really big project. Yeah. It sounds it great on paper, but... Like, heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Because, yeah, people here love it. They think, oh, gadget, shiny objects, <laughs> yeah. cool new tech thing. And it's it's horrible, it's insulting, and it's I think it's tragic. And and we just cannot forget about the human connection. Mm-hmm. And that's really the biggest part of the work that we do is going into every new community and every new culture with just complete deference. You know, even matching our body language and communication style because we want to be on the on the same plane and we want them to know that we just want to learn from them. And so we have that connection, that mutual respect, and that partnership, and then that's the foundation of work, lasting work. So what are the uh, biggest obstacles you usually run into like as you're getting the well like established into the, into the village? Oh, like on the actual project? Yeah, on the actual projects. Well, of, the, of all the project requests that we get, we're only able to take on about 10%. Hmm. Some of that is, is due to funding because we have to put projects that are approved into a funding queue and sometimes it just takes too long to find the money and something goes wrong or we can find them a partner organization that will do the work. Beyond that, sometimes there's simply not a solution for the community. So the groundwater isn't there or it's not going to be potable. Mm -hmm. The rainwater isn't enough. They have no natural springs and they're just kind of stuck. And then, yeah, this is this is by far the hardest part of my job when I have yeah. to... You have to say no. I have to let them know that we just can't figure it out. But we never just toss a, a project. We always keep things in our files and keep thinking about them because because technology, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and we provide them with all of our information on being able to keep what water they do have safe, cleaning the water that they have, depending on what's what might be wrong with it, and different ways they can conserve water. But um, it's it's very difficult yeah. having to turn those projects yeah. away. Yeah, mm-hmm. that has to be hard. 
like an emotional human level too. I was yeah, like, I'm sorry. It's like, there's nothing we can do. It's not, it's not you. It's not us. It's just bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. Circumstance. And it, uh, East Africa is interesting too, because of colonialization and tribes have been pushed out and moved around and, and rivers have been redirected. And so some people are quite literally stuck in these really arid, just un, almost uninhabitable places. And, there's just not much that can be done yet. Yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other things that pose challenges and could, can, will preclude us from working in a community are um, sometimes there's corruption that we just can't get around. Yeah. Um, and because we can only do so many projects and we don't really have a whole lot of power to change some of the corruption that happens there, those are community, communities that we have to not approve at the time, mm-hmm. but we do always let people know, communities know why, and so, you know, they can always come back when mm-hmm. circumstances like that could change. Oh, do you keep in contact then with, you know, uh, your project people over there, or like the communities that you've helped? The, the, the projects that we've completed? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting trickier as we scale, Yeah. because we only have two staff in Kenya right now, so we'll probably need to hire more people soon. Mm-hmm. But we are going to get to a point where we can scale no further without compromising the integrity of our work. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that was sort of philosophically bringing me down because I was thinking, I've got to figure out a way that we can make this work and, and cover all the places, but not we can't, not not with this model. But because I became more familiar with the incredible amount of resources that are dumped into this work that don't work. And other nonprofits started contacting us to share information and share our model and our lessons learned. We recently formed another company. So this is a for-profit company. um, And it's called Aurora Global. Totally small right now. We're just going to break even. But this way we can work with other NGOs who are trying to do the same thing. It turned out that it's easier for them just to hire a for-profit little company that nobody knows about to come in and help them do the work and then get out, mm-hmm. as opposed to a, I'm doing air quotes, a competitor in the field, another nonprofit doing the same mm-hmm. thing. The, the international work is, is an interesting place to be because it's much harder, and I'll say this delicately and you can edit it out if you do, it's... It's it's harder to to be accountable mm-hmm. for the work uh, that is on the other side of the world mm-hmm. that benefactors are going to never see. Mm-hmm. Is it like why websites like Charity Navigator exist too to yes. keep them accountable? Charity Navigator and also GiveWell, which is the the effective altruism yeah. one. Yes, those two are they're like score charities based on yeah. transparency and cost effectiveness to keep them accountable. And it, yeah, and I'd like for them to have a stronger emphasis on impact. Oh uh, yeah, that's what that's what it's, uh, give. Uh, that's what it's uh, give, give well. does. Yeah, they do it by cost per life save. Yes, and that's like why against malaria, it's the cheapest amount of money you could spend to preventing people from getting malaria because they mostly give people yeah. mosquito nets. So right. that's what the, the top charity right. in there is cost per life. It's cheaper. It's like according to them, I think three thousand dollars a year is like the cost it takes to save a life. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So but yeah, cost per save. Uh, Per life save is definitely like a new thing that people are going into now. That's interesting. There's a, and also too with Charity Navigator specifically, they don't, 
provide profiles for nonprofits unless they have a million dollars in revenue annually or more. Huh. Okay. So yeah. while organizations like WellAware are listed, yeah, we, we don't qualify yet to yeah. be able to provide all of our information, which is a huge disadvantage mm. for us. Yeah. But their reasoning is valid. They can only accommodate so much. Mm. And those organizations typically have more presence. So it's probably more important that they have more oversight. Mm-hmm. But there are two more, uh, Great Nonprofits and GuideStar. I don't know about these. I didn't look them up. Hmm. They are less comprehensive, but serve pretty much the same purpose. At least you can find out if the nonprofit is legit, what mm-hmm. their financials look like. Mm-hmm. And so WellAware is top rated on both of those. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. And then if you really want to get in the nitty-gritty enough, she can only accommodate a few nonprofits. But another podcast, which is fantastic, is oh. called Tiny Spark. Oh, I've heard of it. And she's an investigate, basically an, an investigative reporter for international nonprofits. Oh, Whoa. that's totally my, up my alley. So she, check it out. she will go and she will like figure out what is really happening in the field where you know donors are sending their money through a nonprofit. Oh, um, I really like her because she really likes us. <laughs> but also, she's she based in Austin. She's based in Austin. Oh, we gotta, yeah. We gotta, we gotta, she's she's a rock her. star. We yeah. gotta talk to her. Yeah, I'll send you. Yeah, I'll send you information. Uh, so, what's on the horizon for Well Aware? What's the what are some big future projects or growths that you're looking into having? It's a it's a pretty exciting time for our work. I think we've finally figured out how we're going to scale and what that's going to look like. We have the for-profit partner that in a couple of years will be, will be able to exponentially impact more people because we're working through other people who already have boots on the ground, and then we're going to drive re- put revenue back into WellAware mm-hmm. to be able to do more projects. And then we're adding in Tanzania this year, oh. which is really exciting. It's our first time to work in Tanzania, though we've been building partnerships there for a couple of years. And we are working on a... A new technology, but we're still working on the patent, so I'm not allowed okay. to talk yeah. about don't it. Talk about, yeah. we'll <laughs> keep that's, it safe. that's a good I can teaser, tell, right? <laughs> yeah. I can tell you guys Coming OTR. Soon. <laughs> yeah, after you sign an NDA. Yeah, after you sign an NDA, <laughs> we won't hear anything about this. And we 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 are we're finally getting some traction and growing on the fundraising side, which means all these plans that we've had, we get to finally start to really work on. So we always ask this question, too, because we're everyday superhumans. What superhuman would you be? What would, you or superhuman what would your um, well-aware would be, like, if it was a superhero? Or superhero team. Like, you mean if we had a superpower? Yeah. Like, like one, that, for or example, like, we talked to this person. She teaches coding to a woman that wants to learn coding. That's so cool. And she said that she became the JavaScript Huntress. Yeah. That was her name. What was it? JavaScript Huntress. From uh, Girl Develop It. Her yeah, her name is Ashley. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just really like their name, too. Girl, develop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is always a hardest well, question to be asked. Is what would be your superhero like, name? what? <laughs> well, do you know what my board of directors calls me? What? They call me Queen Maji. Because Maji is water in Swahili. Oh, okay. oh well, there, there you go. go. There you go. go. That's a really good one. Queen Maji. There we go. So I would love to plug Shower Strike. Okay, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, it's grown over the years. I mentioned that we did it that first year and kind of accidentally raised twenty five thousand yeah. dollars. And last year we raised one hundred fifty thousand dollars in that week for Shower Strike, and we want to exceed that this year. And it starts on April twenty second, which is Earth Day. Okay. Registration is officially open on World Water Day, March twenty second. Oh, okay. 
But anyone can sign up right now if you want. That's just when we start pushing out the press releases okay. and stuff on social media. But the website is showerstrike.org. Okay. And it's really, really super easy. You set up a page. It's a typical crowdfunding, peer-to-peer thing. And most people say it's really the easiest way they've ever raised money for a nonprofit because people don't just pass it up. It's not a race. It's not, you know, whatever. It's people not showering. So <laughs> the media loves it, you know. <laughs> Kids love it. We have lots of, like, second graders. <laughs> and their, teach- Mom, Dad, their he- teachers are like, God, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool because a lot of schools have started embracing the campaign because they matched up with a lesson plan Mm -hmm. and they get to start talking about water issues or water conservation and the kids don't have to shower and it's a win-win. And this year we have companies who are going to sponsor the schools who participate. So the companies don't have to be a part of not showering, Mm -hmm. but they're empowering these little young philanthropists to participate in the fundraiser and they're going to match all the dollars they bring in. Yeah, 100%. Wow. So that should be really cool. How long is the strike going for? It, officially, it's only a week. But, you know, you set your fundraising goal, and that can be $100 or it could be $10,000. Mm-hmm. And the rule is that uh, as soon as you meet your fundraising goal, then you get to shower again. So it could just be a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So All right. It's, That's it's good. easy. Yeah. So you do like $1. Every penny counts. Well, this marks our first episode of season three. And to kick off season three, we are debuting our official Patreon page. Look for the link in the description or search for us in the Patreon search bar. For all of you new listeners out there, feel free to check out everydaysuperhumans.com where you can find season one where we interview people in the small town of Homa, Louisiana, and season two where we started talking to the nonprofits of Austin. Want to get your hands dirty for clean water? You can find WellAware on Facebook, follow them on Instagram and Twitter at WellAwareWorld, and also go to their website at WellAwareWorld.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Everyday Superhumans, and check us out on Twitter at SuperhumansCast. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get our show. Remember, not every hero has to fly, so grab your cape and let's go.